Hey guys, and thank you for finding your way to Morgellons Discussion, the podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Murphy, and this show is about Morgellons facts. Uh, that is to say, what has been able to be demonstrated uh, for scientific purposes. So, if you hear me saying something about Morgellons disease on this show, it's got to be coming from the scientific world. It has been published in a prestigious journal. And the science, the experiments that went into producing that data are repeatable. So, if you're looking for factual information about the Morgellons disease condition, welcome to our show. Hey, and welcome back to Morgellons Discussion, the podcast on Anchor FM. I'm your host, Jeremy Murphy, and today I'm very fortunate to be able to talk about one of my favorite books regarding Morgellons disease. You know, when I realized that I had this condition back in 2014, I really didn't have a handle on what it was or what aspects were associated with the condition and which ones weren't. However, that all changed at the end of 2016 when Dr. Ginger Savely's Morgellons, The Legitimization of a Disease was published. So I ordered a copy of the book and pretty much most questions that I had about the condition were addressed in there and it brought it back around to a scientific understanding of the disease process. There were a lot of things I related to in this book, but specifically What stood out to me was how well it portrays that Morgellons is not a new condition, that it's been around for a long time, and that it's most likely people are just now starting to really notice it. So I did request permission from Dr. Savely to be able to read to you guys a few pages from this book. And if you'd like to order it, of course, you can go to Amazon, Morgellons, The Legitimization of a Disease, Dr. Ginger Savely. Uh, I'm obviously going to include a link in the description below, but I highly encourage you, if you want to get a handle on what's up with Morgellons disease, to pick up a copy of this book. It's surprisingly easy and fast to read. When I got this book, I read it all in one day, about 350 pages. And so I'm going to read a couple pages from this chapter entitled Morgellons, Not a New Disease. My suspicion is that Morgellons disease goes back many centuries, probably even before the mention of it by Sir Thomas Brown in the 17th century. During the 19th and 20th centuries, patient complaints of crawling sensations and filaments resulted in a delusional diagnosis because it was believed that the patients were imagining bugs crawling on them and that the filaments and other debris from their skin were environmental contaminants. By the 21st century, patients learned to keep quiet about their symptoms for fear of being diagnosed psychiatric ruining their chances of a respectable job and place in society. The disease did not decrease in incidence. People just did not want to deal with the negative reactions to their complaints. One of my MD patient's symptoms date back to 1954. You will read his history in the next chapter. Thus, there are reasons to believe that Morgellons disease is not new to this century or even to the last. What has changed is awareness. Thanks to the rapid spread of information through the internet, enabling thousands of people to come out of the shadows and be validated. Morgellons patients who have suffered for more than 15 years before a name was given for their condition or their disease was discussed in the media have experienced the worst isolation and prejudicial treatment. Bill Pitt was one such patient. And so the next entry I'm going to read from is, When Nothing Seems Right, 
crazy makes sense. This passage is actually in Bill Pitt's own words. For me, it started at an early age. I was just six years old in 1954 when I noticed things would appear on my skin, disappearing as quickly as they appeared. By the age of seven, I was seeing spinning, moving hairs on my skin. My mom would yank them out when she felt I was getting too fascinated by what these hairs were doing. Around the same time, my father became ill with sores on his feet and legs. He spent long nights digging into his sores. He was sure that there was something deep inside of him causing his sores and his pain, and he wasn't going to stop until he could remove the source of his torture. In fact, he had little time for anything else but trying to prove to himself and his doctors that something unusual was going on. So right there, you can see that from Bill Pitt's experience, not only did he have it, but his dad had it, like, way back. But let's continue. This next chapter is entitled, The Most Common Misdiagnosis. Antipsychotic medications, such as pimazide or risperidone, are often prescribed for DOP patients, but are rarely effective. It has been postulated by psychiatrists that the reason antipsychotics are not helpful is that the patients are reluctant to take them as directed. Of course, the other obvious possibility is that they do not work because the patient is not psychotic. The diagnosis of DOP is rare in the United States, with a prevalence estimated at 2.37 to 17 per million per year. It affects both sexes equally beneath the age of 50, but over the age of 50, the male-to-female ratio is 1 in 3. The most common age of onset ranges between 55 to 68 years. The average duration of DOP is 3 years with symptoms resolving spontaneously. In some cases, it may last for decades. There are no particular predilections for DOP and patients have no prior history of psychiatric problems. Many sufferers are high-functioning, intelligent professionals, including doctors, lawyers, and psychologists. So that's the big question right there. If these doctors, lawyers, and psychologists are able to function and accomplish their jobs, is this really a delusional state? Or does this patient have some kind of an infectious process in their skin, for real? Because, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems to me like if they were delusional about the sores on their skin, they should be delusional about other aspects in their life. Uh, they would not be able to maintain such a high-functioning position with great responsibilities if they were impaired in any way like that. And I imagine after time, hygienic factor of the condition will eventually overtake their ability to participate. This chapter is highly encouraging. It's called Differential Diagnosis of Morgellons Disease. When a patient presents to a healthcare provider with an array of symptoms, the first thing the practitioner does is to formulate a differential diagnosis. The differential, it is usually shortened this way, includes all of the conditions with similar symptoms that need to be ruled out to arrive at a correct diagnosis. For example, the differential for abdominal pain is extensive, including but not limited to irritable bowel syndrome, gastroenteritis, appendicitis, gallstones, diverticulitis, mesocentric thrombosis, or cancer. Morgellons disease is almost always misdiagnosed, leading to a prolonged suffering for the patient and a reduced chance of recovery. It is important to review the differential diagnosis for Morgellons disease because it is essential to understand the differences between MD and other similar skin diseases. Included in this differential diagnosis are psychosomatic, drug-induced, allergic, neurologic, metabolic, autoimmune, and prior
primary or secondary infectious dermatological processes. Systematic diseases, as discussed previously, should be ruled out before investigating the cause of any skin condition. The psychosomatic and drug-induced conditions in the differential were reviewed in the last chapter. Drug-induced formication and delusions of parasitosis. The rest of the dermatological differential will be listed below, focusing specifically on skin conditions that are characterized by itching, multiple lesions, and pervasive discomfort. And so you can go through the rest of this chapter, and it's got conditions like contact, atopic dermatitis, allergic contact dermatitis. A lot of these I have been diagnosed with in the past, uh, going to see dermatologists and, and other doctors, even going to the emergency room. And, and so that leads us into the last entry that I'm going to be able to pull from here today. If you would like to read this book in its entirety, I'm going to leave a link in the description below. You can just go straight to Amazon and look for Morgellons, The Legitimization of a Disease by Dr. Ginger Savely. This chapter is called, There is Hope. Pending more understanding of the cause and risk factors, a total cure for Morgellons disease is elusive. Treatment focuses on symptom management, and when a patient is willing, and most are, treatment with experimental combinations of antibiotics, antifungals, antiparasitics, and antihelminthics. Many have improved with treatment, but not without enduring temporary symptom intensification and the need for frequent medication changes due to an apparently uncanny ability of the organism to adapt or mutate. Every patient is unique. So, treatment involves trial and error and months of frustration for both the patient and the practitioner. In patients who have had symptoms for less than a year or whose symptoms are not severe, I see a vast improvement after about a year of treatment. Treatment of serious or long-lasting cases has taken as long as six years. Most patients' recoveries happen somewhere in between two extremities with an average of two to three years. All of the MD patients I have treated have improved. The difference is in the amount of improvement and the time it takes to get there. About 5 to 10% of my patients have become completely asymptomatic after treatment and have stayed that way for as long as five years. The majority of my treated patients are left with some residual symptoms, but their situation is vastly improved and they are able to function and live a normal life. About 10 to 15% improve very little. These tend to be the patients with the most serious symptoms who have been sick a very long time or have environmental or psychosocial stresses suppressing their immune systems. So there is definitely hope and this point should be stressed to every patient with this disease. Patients have a higher chance of recovery when they are strictly compliant with the treatment protocol and do everything they can to strengthen their immune systems. More about this in the chapter on treatment. The difficult part is sticking with the long-term treatment. It takes a real leap of faith, but those who have beaten the disease say that this is what is needed. Faith and a stubborn refusal to give in. And just like you heard there, this book does have a chapter on treatment, and it really will help you and your practitioner be able to address this condition in a responsible manner. It's not an easy fix, but there are options, and as this book states there is hope. What do you guys think? If you like this episode, feel free to shoot me a message over here on Anchor FM. I definitely appreciate you guys sharing the show out, and we've got a lot more episodes coming up. We're going to try to answer your questions, and if you have any concerns, feel free to drop me a line, and have a great week, and we'll see you soon.